Welcome to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, where we are committed to providing our community with voices of conscience from an ethical perspective. My name is Tim Hart Anderson. I am the senior minister here at Westminster Presbyterian Church on Nicollet Mall in beautiful downtown Minneapolis, and I will be the moderator of today's forum. If you are listening to us on Minnesota Public Radio, we welcome you and we invite you to visit us in person in the future. Details about upcoming forums can be found online at eWestminster.org. We also invite you to contact the Minneapolis Public Library for information about book lists and dialogues in connection with the issues raised in today's forum. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the forum today a man who is an accomplished speaker and who has contributed significantly to the health of the art community here in the Twin Cities. Before coming to, the, to Minneapolis as artistic director for the Guthrie Theater, Joe Dowling was widely known for his association with Ireland's national theater, the Abbey, having become a member of the acting company while a student at University College in Dublin Mr. Dowling, at age 29, became the youngest ever artistic director of the Abbey Theater. He had already founded the Young Abbey, Ireland's first theater and education group, and his tenure was marked by the encouragement of actors, new plays, and playwrights. In 1985, Mr. Dowling became managing and artistic director of the Gaiety Theater, Dublin's oldest commercial theater, where he founded the Gaiety School of Acting. Mr. Dowling's work as a director has been seen and acclaimed all over Ireland and North America. In 1995, Joe Dowling joined the Guthrie Theatre here in Minneapolis, a leading regional theatre with a history of commitment to the classical repertoire and to the production of new works. His directing credits at the Guthrie include The Importance of Being Earnest, All My Sons, and Pride and Prejudice. Mr. Dowling's vision for a Guthrie on the river has become a reality. Construction is now underway on the banks of the Mississippi. Joe Dowling presides over unprecedented growth for the Guthrie with subscriptions up 100% from the start of his tenure. At a time when low-aiming entertainment threatens to drown out serious artistic expression, what can live theater do to raise the bar and speak to people about their lives and their world. If human nature burdens us with violence, with ignorance, with ego, what can art do to improve us? We've asked Joe Dowling to help us contemplate the relationship between art and society, as well as the human impulse to create. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, Mr. Joe Dowling. Thank you very much indeed. It's a real pleasure to be here. This is something of a first for me because although many times I have attempted to speak ex cathedra, this is the first time I have ever spoken from a pulpit. <laughs> William Shakespeare, who knew a thing or two about human nature, defines how powerful the theater can be on our imaginations when he has his Prince of Denmark, Hamlet, tell us that the play's the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. The acting out of the murder of his father before his uncle was sure to force a confession of guilt on the murderer's part. 
And in an earlier scene, Hamlet's advice to the players, he describes drama as to hold, as twere, the mirror up to nature, to show virtue her own feature, scorn her own image, and the very age and body of the time, his form and pressure. Shakespeare, the greatest dramatist in the history of theatre, knew that the acting out of emotions by actors on a stage can influence us, the audience, in our personal behaviour, can force us to face the truth of our own beliefs, and can teach us so much about ourselves in an increasingly complex world. And if the art and artists have the power to change individuals and to hold a mirror up to human behaviour, it's also true that the power of art can make a real impact on the shape of an, and the destiny of a society and a civilization. In totalitarian societies, the most dangerous dissidents are not the military rebels, but the artists and the thinkers whose work can change minds and affect human hearts. And that is why intolerant regimes crack down on artists and ban their work. In the dark days of tyranny, very often poets and actors, painters and writers keep the flame of freedom alive. All art is political in its impact and therefore can have a profound personal influence to change a society. In a free society, it's easy to take for granted the right of the artist to dissent from mainstream orthodoxies that are held by a majority. But even in a free world with its constitutionally enshrined freedom of speech and right of assembly, we must always be vigilant to ensure the right of the artist to express contrary viewpoints or unpopular opinions. Again, to refer to Shakespeare, the fool is always given license to disagree. We assume in our free society that theatre and the arts exist for our enlightenment, for our entertainment, and to question our collective values. But in many societies where freedom and human dignity are not a given, theatre has a very different meaning and can be seen as a subversive act of defiance. I'm struck by the description offered by the Polish critic Jan Kott, writing of a performance in ha of Hamlet in Krakow during the time of the communist regime. He says, I was in Krakow for a new production of Hamlet. When the line, something is rotten in the state of Denmark, was uttered on stage, a murmur rippled through the audience from the gallery right under the ceiling to the first row in the orchestra. When later the line, Denmark's a prison, was repeated three times, I felt the house go silent, like a sudden lull before a storm. And then applause broke, somewhere in the center of the auditorium, and then somewhere in the gallery, individual, quiet applause that seemed frightened at its own audacity. In another moment, the entire auditorium had broken into a fierce applause that lasted until hands went numb. At this Polish hamlet, not only the cast, but the entire audience was in Elsinore, where both the people and the walls have ears. In a society where freedom of discourse is not possible, the theater, with its power of metaphor and the universal voice, can speak directly to the human spirit and give it hope. And for me, one of the most inspiring images of recent years was a front page picture on the New York Times of the reopening of the Afghan National Theater following the removal of the Taliban regime in Kabul. Even in the bleakest of times, the urge to create and to reflect the values of a civilization and a culture are strong and dominant. The arts cannot be suppressed. They survived even the horrors of Nazi genocide. 
They kept the flame of freedom alive throughout the long communist rule in Eastern Europe. They are present in all human societies and will survive as long as human beings have the need to share values, to express their longings, dreams and fears to each other. Human societies are defined by the genius of the artists they encourage. While statesmen and women define the world in an immediate political sense, the artists are the true chroniclers of each age. We remember little of Renaissance politics, but the glories of Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci remain vivid for all time. Elizabethan court intrigue and imperial nation building are the stuff of dry history lessons, but the wit and wisdom of Shakespeare endures with contemporary clarity. Picasso's Guernica tells us all we need to know of the horrors of war in our century. President Kennedy said it best when he declared, I'm certain that after the dust of centuries has passed over our cities, we too will be remembered not for victories or defeats in battle or in politics, but for our contribution to the human spirit. And the contribution that the arts make to the human spirit is not a luxury in our society, but a necessity that should be nurtured and spread so that all can share in the power of artistic creation, whatever their economic or social circumstances. The arts matter to all human beings because they are a universal language that breaks down barriers between different cultures and helps us to understand each other better. Because they can transform how we view ourselves and the world around us. Because they can connect us to people and ideas of a different time and a different place. The arts matter in our lives because they embrace and define who we are. In the words of the distinguished British observer John Tusa in his book Art Matters, a nation without arts would be a nation that has stopped talking to itself, stopped dreaming, and has lost interest in the past and lacked curiosity about the future. The elements of storytelling that are present in the theater, plot, narrative, character, spectacle, allegory, parable, and metaphor, all offer opportunities for imaginative engagement of our emotional and intellectual lives, which by turn deepen our respect for others while broadening the awareness of the diversity in human experience. That is why, in my view, theatre is the most immediate of the performing arts and the one that provides the most accessible experience for the wide public. It's an art form that's growing in popularity, and it will survive all the myriad technologies that have become part of our everyday experience. The founder of our own theatre, Tyrone Guthrie, put it when he, well when he said 40 years ago, I believe that a theatre where live actors perform to an audience which is there in the flesh before them will survive all threats from powerfully organised industries which pump prefabricated drama out of cans and blowers and contraptions of one kind or another. It will survive as long as mankind demands to be amused, terrified, instructed, shocked, corrupted and delighted by tales told in a manner that will always remain mankind's most vivid and powerful manner of telling a story. I believe, Guthrie said, that the purpose of the theatre is to show mankind to himself and thereby to show to man God's image, an appropriate metaphor in this place. The coming together of a group of people in a theatre to experience an act of artistic creation has indeed a dimension that is close to the spiritual experience. An audience relates to each other and to the performers both in a physical and a spiritual way and the influence of one on the other is profound. What makes theatre special and indestructible is that bond that is created in an immediate time and place. 
No two performances in the theater are ever the same, and each separate audience sees and hears a unique event. Theater is an ephemeral art that disappears into the ether of memory as soon as it is complete, and it cannot be repeated. Unlike film, which continues to operate, whether an audience is there or not, the theater only exists by the consent freely given of audience and performer. When you go to a theater, you make a serious commitment to engage emotionally and physically with the actors, and a form of contract, a form of contract is created between the audience and the stage. That's why people get very angry if the play is bad or offends them, and they usually write to me about it. <laughs> and I welcome their letters. Equally, we become elated and thrilled if the show moves us or speaks to our hearts and into our experience. A standing ovation is a common response in the theater, rare in the cinema. The immediacy of human connection is the important part of what attracts people to the theater. So the strength of the theater lies in the power of the interaction between actor and audience. In the case of the Guthrie Theater, it's also about the importance of a broader relationship between a theater and its community. When the Guthrie was founded here in Minnesota in 1963, its intention was to decentralize American theater and to allow the art form to flourish away from the commercial pressures of New York theater. The founders of the theater knew that without the support of a wide community, and a continuing enthusiasm for their, quote, miracle in Minnesota, unquote, the early optimism would wither, and the hope of so many who saw the Guthrie as a flagship for American theater would be frustrated. In fact, the story of the Guthrie has been a success story. For 40 years, the bond between the theater and its community has been built and strengthened. We now play to over 400,000 patrons a year, many of whom come from outside our region. We have over 30,000 subscribers, among the highest in the country. And a recent commentary in Time magazine named the Guthrie as one of the five top theaters in the country. The affection of Minnesotans for our theater is demonstrated in so many different ways, but none more so than in the recognition that if the Guthrie is to survive and grow, it must expand its activities to serve a growing and diverse population. And this was demonstrated to us with absolute certainty when in our protracted campaign to ensure state funding for the new theater, we solicited support from all around the region and heard so many stories from people who had been touched by a connection with our theater. Whether as a child brought to a Christmas carol or attending as part of a school group at a Shakespeare performance, hundreds of thousands of Minnesotans have come to know the joy and the delight of live theater through the work of the Guthrie in the last 40 years. The achievement of $25 million as part of the capital bonding bill this year was a result largely of a recognition by lawmakers of the importance to this community of the Guthrie and its role in its ongoing educational mission. Governor Pawlenty proved himself true to his electoral promise when he signed the bill, in stark contrast to his predecessor, whose antipathy to the arts and to education were not in keeping with the best traditions of this great state. And in a further indication of Governor Pawlenty's interest in the future of the arts in our community, he has recently indicated that one of the four cornerstones of his policy initiatives will be quality of life issues, including cultural attractions such as the Guthrie Theatre. So it is to be hoped that in an improving economy there will be recognition that the arts are a vital part of our quality of life here in the state of Minnesota, and that the budget cuts that so decimated arts funding last year can be reversed. Art 
and education are the cornerstones of our civilization. Alone as a species, it is our appreciation of the arts and our use of our imaginations that distinguishes us from other species and that defines our humanity. Over and over again, studies show us that children exposed to the arts flourish in other areas of educational achievement and in their future lives. And yet, in our public schools, arts programs are marginalized and under-resourced. Just when the power of the arts is needed most to counter peer pressure, truancy, and the many trials of growing up in our difficult world. And it is to the credit of individual teachers and parents that art acti arts activities occur at all. But if we're, if we're serious about ensuring a new generation of literate, aware citizens, we must pay more attention to providing arts in our schools. This cannot be done without investment and nurturing. But the changes in arts education in recent years in Minnesota makes depressing reading. According to Kathleen Maloney, the Minnesota Alliance for Arts and Education, once school fundraisers were held to pay for band uniforms, now they're needed to pay the music teacher. Once about half our grade school children met with visual artist specialists every week. Now many students are taught art for only 10 to 12 weeks per year, or not at all. Once teachers had budgets to take all children on field trips to museums or performances, now the cost of transportation alone is often prohibitive. Once high school students had choice for in-depth art study, jazz band, orchestra, the school play, the art club, now for many students the activity fees charged make it impossible for them to participate. These are sad reflections on a state that places so much emphasis on education. But the commitment of the Guthrie Theatre to the future of education in the arts, and particularly to theatre education, is absolute. In our new building by the banks of the Mississippi in downtown Minneapolis, we will continue a tradition of educational program in expanded space. Currently, over 100,000 students and teachers participate in our educational and outreach programs. These students vary considerably in age and in their degree of artistic participation. Some do so because they are anxious to pursue a career in the theatre. Some use the experience to examine other facets of their lives. Whatever their motivation for participation, they all share with me the conviction that theatre and the arts can change your life and enrich your sense of who you are as a human being. The Guthrie on the River, which, for which we broke ground uh, last month, and it's due to open in 2006, it will provide this community with an opportunity to fulfill the original dream of the community leaders who persuaded Tyrone Guthrie, then the preeminent theatre director in the world, to come here to Minnesota to create a new paradigm for American theatre. Our vision to create a national centre for theatre arts and education is an extension of that original dream. Our current board chairman, Charlie Zelli, son of one of our founders of our theatre, Louis Zelli, put it best recently when he said of our new building, this is not a building in search of a purpose. This is a vision in need of a facility. The vision is to continue to provide generations of Minnesotans with the best work from the, from the past, to engage the human mind with the classics that have um, for generations and indeed for centuries been the staple um, of the Western theatre. But it's also, I believe, our job to engage the writers of today, 
coming from various different diverse backgrounds to create the classics of tomorrow. We also will continue our partnership with the University of Minnesota to create a new generation of talented actors for American theatre and to serve an increasing number of students with educational programs that open their minds to things of value that they can carry with them throughout their lives. We'll also be host to companies from around the world who will enrich our theatrical experiences, as the recent visit from the Shakespeare Globe from London or the Polish company who visited earlier this fall with Carmen Fenebre, a chilling and powerful representation of the massacres in Bosnia. We'll also tour our productions to other parts of the region and the country, and beginning in January, a national tour of Othello, currently playing at the Guthrie Lab, will be seen in many states throughout the, 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 the country. I come from Ireland, where theatre and politics have always been intertwined, where the poet Yeats was to ask, after the 1916 Rising, whether that play of mine, Kathleen Nihulahan, had sent out men the British shot. I come from a culture that believes that the literary world, the world of the writer, the world of the poet, should be integrated closely into the fabric of society. And I come to a state where those um, objectives, the objectives of ensuring that there is a proper um, degree of education, a proper quality of life, is paramount and important to its citizens. And I come to a theatre founded out of the traditions of the British theatre, founded out of the traditions that have in, in so many ways been part of the world since the days of Shakespeare, but that has found over the 40 years of its existence has found a way of making itself important and relevant to an American audience. And as we look to the future of the Guthrie Theatre and we look to the future of the arts in this region, I know that they will survive. I know that the Guthrie and other theatres, many of whom have grown up over the last 40 years to make this one of the most vibrant theatre areas in the country, that they will survive. But whether they will survive in a way that will allow for the freedom to explore the freedom for new voices to be heard, the freedom for the avant-garde of today that will become the mainstream of tomorrow, will depend in very large measure, I believe, on how our um, civic and state leaders view funding for the arts. We in the Guthrie have the most wonderful um, private uh, support, as do many of the theatres and the arts organisations. But arts organisations that don't have the profile that the Guthrie has will continue to need to be supported by public funding. And public funding for the arts and for education is not a luxury, it's a necessity. If our culture and our civilization is to grow and to be recognized and to be part and parcel of our everyday lives, then we must take stock of where we are and recognize that both in our educational system and in our cultural institutions, there is need for public funding. We were enormously grateful to the state legislature and to the governor for the opportunity to participate in the bonding bill of this year. But arts funding in this state needs to be increased if new groups and new artists are to be encouraged and to flourish. The arts do matter. The arts are important. The voice of the artist speaking directly to us affects our human heart and tells us increasingly who we are as a people and who we are as a society. I know and I hope that that will always be at the core of Minnesotan society. Thank you very much.
Thank you, Joe Dowling. You are listening to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, originating from Westminster Presbyterian Church on Nicollet Mall in downtown Minneapolis. I am Tim Hart Anderson, the moderator of today's forum and the senior pastor of this church. Our guest is Joe Dowling, artistic director of the Guthrie Theater, who has just spoken to us on the role of art in the life of the individual and society. While ushers collect questions from our audience at Westminster, we would like to remind our Minnesota public radio audience that forums are free and open to the public. For information about upcoming forums, you can visit us online at eWestminster.org. We also invite you to contact the Minneapolis Public Library for information about a book list and dialogue in connection with today's forum. The Town Hall Forum would like to thank the following sponsors for making contributions this year. General Mills Community Action, the Kellogg, Nash, Baker, and George Family Foundations, the University of Minnesota Academic Health Center, and Skyway News. Thanks also to the many individuals who have generously supported our mission to highlight ethical voices in our world today. Joe Dowling, if you will return to the pulpit, we will begin the questions. The question comes to us about the Twin Cities themselves and the possibility of artistic communities being divided between St. Paul and Minnesota, Minneapolis. Uh, do you buy into that, uh, what some would say is a myth? And uh, also, what about the suburbs and the city in terms of the arts? This is a dangerous one. <laughs> I don't, I, I, as someone who's come from outside this community, I don't see, uh, I think it is a myth that there's a division between, certainly between the arts communities in um, Minneapolis and St. Paul. I don't see that, uh, that division. Um, there are really wonderful arts organizations in, in both cities, um, and certainly the theater. The, uh, the, the, the theater in St. Paul is, is vibrant and alive with um, theaters like Penumbra and and uh, Park Square and others, and so I, 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 I personally find it quite um, invigorating to go on the 94 East and see shows over there. Um, and I hope that many people will make the return journey um, and come and see work over here. Um, as far as the suburbs are concerned, and, the, and I, the, I know that there's a great deal of discussion about the, um, the, the development of suburban art centers and a great deal of discussion about whether or not uh, funders ought to um, divert attention away from the central uh, metro uh, 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 arts organizations towards the suburbs. And I would argue very strongly, um, as someone who ran a national theater in, in Ireland, um, that we must have centers of excellence. Yes, of course, there needs to be community art and community art centers, but there must be centers of excellence. There must be places where people, whether they're from the metro area or from the suburb or from outstate or from um, other parts of the region, can come and where they know those centers of excellence will exist. And centers of excellence, and I believe the Guthrie is, is, is certainly one of those, um, can't exist unless they're properly funded. So I would argue very strongly in favor of ensuring that those centers of excellence that we currently have are not 
um, left bereft of funding in order to strengthen um, uh, uh, community organizations. That's not to take away from the need for different communities to encourage art within their own areas. Now a question about uh, the health of the arts locally, nationally, and internationally. Are we becoming people incapable of thinking and feeling deeply or at length? Or are these just the claims of elitists and doomsayers? I, I don't think we're becoming incapable of feeling deeply and, and being responsive to the artistic impulse that moves us, that amuses us, that um, creates a, um, a sense of community in, in any auditorium. Um, I, 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 I'm an optimist in terms of, of arts. As I said um, earlier, I, I believe that the arts will survive. We, they will survive not because um, of some extraneous wish on our parts, but because they're intrinsic. They're absolutely intrinsic to every human being. So whether it's a love of music or a love of painting or a love of film or, or theater or whatever it is, I believe that um, the, the opportunities that people have to engage in the arts um, will in, ensure that they survive and that they grow. Nationally, I think that certainly theater um, is in a, a, it's a difficult time for theaters. Economies, when economies turn down, it, it's inevitable um, that theaters find, it, find hard going. But the theater is that fabulous invalid that's always sick but never dies. And, 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 and I believe that that will be the case. With the cuts to arts funding and the state of the economy, how can theater artists balance what the people want, that is box office success, and what the people need? Well, I'm, I'm enough of a populist to say that what the people want is very often what they need. Um, that very often people, we, we, we make this division between a popular success and some um, sort of area of, of uh, art that, that doesn't reach a large number of people. I'm, I'm, I'm known in theater circles as someone who hates empty theaters and dark theaters. I hate to see an empty seat in the theater. Um, as I said, a, a, a theater performance is a one-off. It's an opportunity for a group of people together to engage um, with each other. And the idea that we would deny ourselves that opportunity seems sacrilege to me. Um, what can arts organizations do? Well, you know, this comes right to the core of the, of, of the debate. State funding for the arts, funding by the public, by the, from the public purse, is a statement of belief in ourselves as a community. Of course, organizations that are, have access to private funds can and, and do um, survive and thrive. But young organizations, new voices, different voices, the voices of artists who will never be mainstream can only survive, as they always have throughout history, if there is patronage. In a at a certain time, it was the patronage of the king, it was the patronage of the nobles. With the, rec with the recognition of democracies and, and, and of um, a, a, a collective state, um, that responsibility and that duty um, passed over um, to, to, to the public purse. 
And so I believe very strongly in state funding for the arts. I believe that to deny ourselves the full range of artistic expression is to deny ourselves part um, of our uh, society and part of our, of our civilization. So while artists, of course, must continue, and in this um, mixed system that we have in this country of private and public funding together, of course we must continue to do work that people want to see. But we will only continue to grow the different art forms if, in fact, they can be subsidized from the center. There's a question about uh, competition, I guess, between live theater and uh, technologically produced media. Is a theater crowd different from a movie or TV crowd? Yes. We're better. No, I think, I, I, I think the experience of going to the theater is inevitably different from that of going to a movie. Um, as I say, people can get up and walk around in a movie, they talk, they, it's, it's, it's all, actually I always think when you go to the movies, it's, it's a bit like Grand Central Station. People are coming and going and um, eating, uh, making noise and so on. In a theater there is a certain sense of engagement. Um, and and uh, as, as a friend of mine once said about going to the theater, he said, where else can you get that an actor can spit on you? Um, <laughs> I think there is a big difference in the experience. I don't for one second reduce the importance of film. Film is the dominant culture in this country and I don't reduce its importance or its value. But for me, there's nothing that can replicate that live experience of actors in the same room with the audience all engaging in the act of creation because the audience are as intricately involved in um, that act as indeed are the actors. So there is a big difference. Um, I, I, I love movies and I wouldn't want them to be um, re reduced in any way, but theatre does have a special importance, certainly for me. We have several questions about the defunding of arts in our society today and the relationship between that and uh, the uh, decline in community, the growth in violence, the growing alienation among our populace. Can you say more about the connection between uh, funding and support of the arts and the creation of community and particularly overcoming uh, tendencies toward violence and alienation? Well, I think it, it goes right back to what I was saying about um, funding for arts education. I, 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 I know um, from personal experience and I know from a, a, a lifetime spent working with young people that exposure of young people to artistic achievement, exposure of young people to great painting, to great music, to great literature, um, can and does have a civilizing effect. I know that it's, it's many, many studies have been done that show that a, a regular exposure to the arts in school and to arts education actually improves the work of students in other areas and certainly engages them more in a sense of community. These are facts that for um, reasons that always are about politics and not about, um, uh, about our own needs um, seem to be ignored when we come to talking about cuts in education um, uh, arts funding. So I believe it goes back to the schools, I believe it goes back to the parents, I believe it goes back to um, how we talk to our children about um, the world around them and introducing our children to, um, to art and to the beneficial advantages um, that art can have in a young life, I think is, is the most important thing that any um, member of society can do. Um, 
the, the, the defunding of, of arts organizations um, is a tragedy. Uh, because it does mean that there's less opportunity for community. There's less opportunity for people to get together. Closing downs of theatres, of museums, of, of other places of culture um, is something that um, really does affect people's everyday lives. And we should, uh, I think all of us as citizens, um, should be very clear that that reduction in funding will have those direct and immediate impacts um, on, on people's lives. But I do believe um, very firmly that the funding of education and the arts in education is the key. Question about politics and the arts. You referred in your remarks to both Poland and Afghanistan as repressive societies and governments that, uh, where, where arts helped affect political change. In our culture, which is much more open, how do you see and where specifically do you see the arts affecting political change here? Well, I think it's whether, whether the arts actually, I don't know that I'm saying in my remarks that the arts actually affect political change in the sense of overthrowing regimes. That needs to come from a whole series of different impulses, one of which um, uh, certainly is uh, artistic expression. Um, in, increasingly, though, I, 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 I'm concerned when I read of those who do express different views, whether they be writers or, or dramatists or whatever, um, that they are somehow deemed to be unpatriotic if they don't conform to a um, majority orthodoxy. Um, dissidents within our society, people who argue, who protest, who say that those things that are um, perhaps ought to be different, and very often they are artists who do so. Um, they ought to be the heroes of our society rather um, than the traitors. We cannot have an open and free society unless we have the opportunity to be um, uh, contrary. We cannot have an open and free society unless we are willing to listen um, to all shades of argument and debate. And there's no better place, there's no better forum um, for debate about the world than in um, the arts, whether it be in literature, whether it be in theatre, whether it be um, through um, uh, paintings or sculpture. That always has been and will continue to be. Um, I think that the arguments that have gone on in this country for the last 10 to 15 years about the funding for the National Endowment for the, art, uh, for the Arts are a, are a true blight on our civilization and our society. The nonsense that's talked by those who believe that to allow artists to express themselves, that somehow or other they will bring um, our uh, culture into disrepute, um, is what I've said. It's a nonsense. Um, and, and I believe that those culture wars that have been fought over the last 10 to 15 years have done terrible damage um, to us as a society. Um, freedom in the arts, freedom for people to express themselves, um, that is a vital part of an open and free society, and we should encourage it wherever it is. I don't believe the arts by themselves, and certainly not theatre, have ever truly made major political changes, but they affect the way people think about the world, and that in turn has a political impact. Moving from politics to comedy, which is an easy move to make, how would you say that comedy speaks to and affects society? Well, we all like to laugh. That's, that's the starting point, isn't it? Comedy is as old as, as, as humankind and will continue. We all, um, and, and, and it's also a wonderful breaking down of barriers between people. Um, when you can laugh with someone, it's very hard to then take out a gun and shoot them. 
Um, so comedy has a, a really important place, and I, I, I think those two uh, masks, comedy and tragedy, stand side by side. Um, but yet, you know, a, a, a very good friend of mine, um, who is a comedian, um, often says that as a comedian, um, she feels that she's always at the children's table rather than at the adult table. But somehow we see comedy as inferior to tragedy. I love it. I, I have great delight. And the lower the comedy, the more I enjoy it. Um, and I make no, no apologies for that. There must be a preacher in the audience with this question. Have you ever had a moment where you couldn't seem to get an idea across? Someone here has been attending my rehearsals. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. I think any director who, who is always able to express ideas or uh, solve problems in rehearsals and knows exactly how to do the play, I don't think they can be a very good director. Um, one of the most humbling things as a director is to actually have the opportunity um, to learn and to explore a play with a writer, with actors. Um, and very, very often in my work, um, I have to uh, rethink a way of putting something or find a way of expressing something through the way in which the actors will, um, will, will, will show me. So, yes. I sympathize. Uh, Continuing on that same vein, in your opinion, what are some of the most challenging aspects of being a director? I think, well, I was just about to say the critics, but then I thought I better be careful here too. Um, the most challenging uh, thing of being a director is to be true to the text, to allow the words of the writer or the ideas of the writer to be expressed on the stage and not to feel that you are equal creator with the writer. I, I believe very strongly in the creative voice of a writer. That he or she, whoever it may be, whether it be Shakespeare or it be the, most, uh, the youngest writer, has the right to be heard. And the director's job, as I see it, is to guide the actors in a way that will allow them to express the work um, that has been written and, and uh, done by, by the writer. Um, often, that, that can be a difficult thing because ideas flow or you want to try something different and you have to keep coming back to what does the text, the text tell you. I think one of the other challenges of being a director is um, never feeling that you, to go back to what I was saying earlier, never feeling that you know more um, than, than the actors do and, and working as closely as you can with the actors to make certain that each the performance the actors give come from their imaginations, from their spirit, from their sense of who they are, rather than from yours. It's a real temptation, of course, for a, a director who was, and indeed still sees himself, as an actor. Because sometimes you hear an actor deliver a line, and you think, oh, that's not the way to do it, I could do that better. And you, and you want to tell the actor how to do the line. But that's the worst possible thing a director can do. It's terribly important, I believe, to allow the actor who is, after all, with the author, the true, um, th that's the true union that one is always looking for. Directors are, we're really the support for, for writers and for actors. And we are the conduit through which the actor and the writer meet the audience. And that's sometimes a challenge to sublimate um, some of your own ego and your own personality into the work in hand. 
What would you say or what would you recommend to aspiring artists that are pushed to do something other than art? For instance, the high schooler who wants to paint but is instead pushed to go to a college and get a degree in something other than painting because it will get you nowhere in life to paint. It will get you everywhere in life to paint. It will get you everywhere in life to express who you are as a human being. I, when I was very much younger, um, I, I knew from the age of six or seven that the only thing I wanted to do was to be an actor. It was the only thing in the world that I knew, deep down, absolutely instinctively, that that was what I wanted to do. And of course, I didn't come from a theatrical family or from a background that would encourage that. And so it was inevitable that when I left high school in Ireland, I would go to university. So I made the bargain. I would go to university and I would study at university while also taking lessons in acting. And that balancing out of the two things meant that when the time came for me to make a choice finishing university, I had the option. I had the opportunity to decide to go into academics or to stay with the original vision that I had. I chose the original vision that I had and I've worked consistently in the theatre for close on 35 years. So I would say to any young person who has a dream about being an artist, don't give that dream up. Yes, of course, there may be pressures, family pressures, societal pressures that tell you you will never earn a living, you won't be happy. But believe me, I can think of nothing worse than being confined to a position that, yes, may well indeed have material gains, but that destroys your soul. And so the idea of always believing in your dream, whether you can realize it or not, is something that I would encourage every young person um, to follow. What artists in any field do you consider as making important work today, an important contribution? I, I'm really impressed with so many artists, um, particularly in my own field, the field of, of, of theater. Um, young artists, artists who um, are many are very often changing the way we think um, about our about our art form, um, and there are so many there are so many different ones that that it's hard to be uh, very specific about any. But a, a young playwright who um, I, I believe is is not necessarily changing the face of American theatre, but certainly defining it in a new way, is a young writer, um, Susan Laurie Parks. I think that there are many many different directors, and that's an area that I'm um, very interested in, um, whom I admire. Um, but probably for me, the best director working in the theatre today is Peter Brook. Um, and, and as I say, there are so many different, in, in, in other art forms, there are so many different um, people whose work I admire um, that it's hard to be specific. you see anywhere in the arts, theatre, or other forms of art a renaissance coming? And if so, where? I believe we're always in a time of renaissance, a time of change, time of opportunity. I don't believe that we need a specific uh, time to arise for f the flowering of art. It, it, it happens um, in the, sometimes in the 
most extraordinary places and in the most extraordinary ways. Um, I would like to think that here in our community, the opportunity for a new theatre like the Guthrie and for other arts organisations to um, have the facility, once we open our new theatre, to, to, um, to use what those facilities will be in the new Guthrie, will allow for a theatrical flowering um, to, to, to take hold completely here um, in our community. Um, but I think that we, 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 it's dangerous for us to look for this kind of um, dream of a renaissance happening in some fixed time. We must just continue to work to do the best work we can as artists and as organizations. And if we do so, I believe the arts will continue to grow and flourish. The question about the importance of professional sports in entertaining our culture these days. Uh, are the benefits that professional sports brings to those who observe them similar to those benefits that accrue to those who attend live theater? If not, what are some of the differences? So we're going to get the stadium debate, are we? Yes. Um, I, I think we need sports just as much as we need arts. I think we have um, a, a, a balanced society just as a balanced human being needs both the intellectual and the physical. Um, I love to see the sports, the professional sports teams we have here. I think they have, they have a, a, a vital place in the fabric of our society. Um, and I love the idea that young people have the opportunity to play sports in schools just as much as they have the opportunity to be in the, the school band or in the play or to be uh, in, in an art class. I, I, I don't, I, I really don't um, ever believe that there is a, 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 this terrible debate between arts and sports. Both are necessary, both are vital. Without both, we can't be complete. The Vikings fans have, have expressed their opinion. And this final question for you, Mr. Dowling. If it weren't for art, would your life hold any meaning? My life would have been very different indeed. Um, no, my life would hold no meaning. I don't believe the life of any human being would hold a meaning if we took all art out of it. But for me personally, um, my engagement with theatre, my involvement with the art form that I've embraced has been my life. It has defined who I am and it has defined my relationships, my personal relationships and my professional relationships. So without art, no. I cannot imagine a life without art, and I don't believe that any human being should have to imagine a life without art, whatever their economic, whatever their social circumstances, whatever their cultural background. Art is as important to me, and I believe to society, as breathing. Thank you, Joe Dowling.